Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your Word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for all of the chances that you have given to us after we have made mistake after mistake, sin after sin, Lord, and you're just so merciful. You're so compassionate towards us, so loving, and we love you because you first loved us, and we see that, Lord. We see that love demonstrated in a powerful way when you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus, your unique Son, to this earth to inhabit a human body, to die on the cross for our sins. We also thank you, Lord, of course, for the resurrection. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. And we pray tonight that you help us to learn whatever it is you'll have us to learn and to apply it with your help. And I pray personally for the gift of teaching and for a fresh filling of your spirit. May you be glorified, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and the title, of course, is not a typo. Covering sin with sin. That's not a typo. You know, that's what happens when humans get involved. Covering sin with sin. So in chapter 10 of 2 Samuel, the Israelites fought against the Ammonites and the Syrians. And so they fought against these two groups of people because there were some rulers of the people of Ammon who put some doubt in Hanan's mind about David's attempt to comfort him regarding the death of his father, which was the previous king of Ammon. And now because of what these rulers of the people of Ammon told Hanan, the new king, about David, The new king of Ammon, Hanan, shamed David's messengers. They shamed them. They they cut off their beards and um, they cut their garments up to their buttocks. And so these men were greatly shamed. And so they came to the point where they realized, okay, David is not going to be happy with this. And so once they realized this, the, the Ammonites went ahead and hired the Syrians to help them to go to battle against the Israelites. And again, this is in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Now, during that battle, the Syrians retreated. They ran away. They they were being beaten. And then the Ammonites, they entered their own city. And this is probably Rabbah, which we'll hear more about in tonight's study. But The Assyrians who had teamed up with the Ammonites in chapter 10, the Syrians, they they were not done. They were not satisfied with just retreating. They weren't satisfied with being beaten by the Israelites. And and so the Syrians in chapter 10, they gathered together to fight some more against the children of Israel. But, But this time, David, that is King David, himself went out to battle. And of course, the scriptures tell us that he led the Israelite 
into victory over the Syrians. And so we pick up now in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And these servants could be officers or the army. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and they besieged or attacked Rabbah. But David, it says, remained at Jerusalem. You know, according to my research, this time of year was, of course, uh, a time for battles, a time for war. It was the time of year for the commencement or renewal of military movements. And that's because the, the season of these severe storms were now over. And now the ground was starting to dry after the winter snows and the winter rains. And so now it is time to go back for these kings to go back to battle, to go back to war. It's wartime. And that's why it says in verse 1 near the beginning that it happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle. Dry ground, better weather, less chance for the army to be hindered because of bad weather. But also in this verse, you see that David didn't go out with them. He didn't go out with Joab, that is uh, his commander, his commander over the Israelites, over the army. He didn't go out with them. He remained at Jerusalem, the headquarters of the nation of Israel at this time. But, but one thing we can see in this verse is the beginning of the steps of falling into sin. In other words, we can see the beginning of the steps of giving in to temptation. See, the scriptures tell us in verse 1 in 2 Samuel 11 that David was not involved in the fight. He was not involved in the battle. He was idle. Didn't have anything to do. Could have had something to do, but, but he chose to stay behind. And because he wasn't in the battle, he wasn't in the fight. His guard was down. Although it's worth a mention spiritually that his guard took a hit by him, first of all, having multiple wives in the first place. Because the scriptures are clear that, that kings were not to multiply wives. The scriptures are clear in regard to uh, the way marriage should be. Between one genetic male, one genetic female, and they're supposed to be together until death separates them. That is God's design. But, but David, he wasn't following the word of God. So, so, so first of all, yes, his guard was down or started to come down because he had multiple wives in the first place. But, but here you, you see a big issue here in, in tonight's study because... He remained at Jerusalem. He wasn't in the fight. His guard, of course, was, was definitely down. And as we look at this spiritually, the season of spiritual warfare is always now. It is, 
It is always spiritual warfare time for us believers. If a person is not attached to Christ, if, if they're not in union with Christ, then they're not going to really face these battles that a believer would face. They're not going to have the same enemy that we have. That is the, the enemy called Satan or the devil. And of course, his army, those fallen angels that we call demons. And so for the believer, spiritual warfare is always now. Not just in the springtime, not just in the summertime or winter or fall. But it's always now. We must be mindful of that. But, but I need to ask the question tonight, and the question is, like David here in our lesson, are our guard down? Do, do we have our guard down at this point to where we're not ready, to where, where we're not ready to engage in spiritual warfare? Do you even know that you're involved in spiritual warfare? Warfare, that there is a spiritual enemy who wants to see you. Are you even aware of that? If you're not, you're already losing the battle. And in verse 2, it says, Then it happened one evening or one late afternoon that, that David, the king of Israel, he, he got up from his bed. He got up from his midday rest, in other words. And it says that he walked on the roof of the king's house or his palace. And from the roof... He saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. See, during this time in Israel, there were many houses that had flat roofs. And and these flat roofs were, were often used as a living space or a patio. And so the people would go up on the roof, and they would get fresh air and sometimes exercise. Those are just a couple of things they would do there, but... But that's where they would hang out at times. And so it's not unusual for him to walk on the roof. They they were flat. But we see here in verse 2, this second step of falling into sin or falling into temptation. See, first of all, we see that David saw something he liked. See, first, he wasn't engaged in the battle, his guard down. Now he sees something or someone, I should say, that he liked, something that appealed to his flesh. You know, but he didn't just acknowledge that she was beautiful. He didn't just see her and say, oh, she's pretty, and just turn his head. No, no, he saw her with lust in his heart. At the same time, oh, he took that second and third glance and, and he stared a little bit at this beautiful woman taking a bath. And he could see it all because he's on his roof, the roof of the palace. But he saw her with lust in his heart. And, and the scriptures tell us in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, it says, but, but I say to you that whoever, and this is Jesus speaking, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And, and so he's already committed the sin of adultery in his heart by, by looking at her in that way. And adultery, of course, 
It involves people who may be married, they're married, and they have an inappropriate relationship with someone they're not married to, someone besides their spouse. That's adultery. That, all, that falls under sexual immorality. There's a long list of things, by the way, that falls under sexual immorality. Homosexuality, bestiality, fornication, adultery. And so we're not picking on one sin under sexual immorality. Whatever the scriptures say is sin, we say that it's sin. In other words, we're saying that we agree with God. These are the words of Jesus. And by the way, people may claim, well, Jesus never covered so-and-so. Jesus never talked about so-and-so in the New Testament. Jesus never talked about that, some people will claim, in order to get away with their sin, in order to get away with their sexual immorality. Jesus never talked about that. But what they forget is that Jesus is God. So Jesus, if he's God in the New Testament, he's God in the Old Testament. And do you think he would disagree with God the Father and the Holy Spirit? So whatever was said in the Old Testament about sin, Jesus is in agreement with that. He doesn't have to uh, say it explicitly in the New Testament. So no, he may not have addressed specifically um, um, homosexuality, but he addressed sexual immorality and that covers it all but here in particular he's talking about adultery and this is something that could happen to us this is something that has happened to us if we're honest with ourselves we may see something that appeals to our flesh we may see something or someone that may appeal to our sin nature and then, of course, we begin to allow our thoughts to run wild. We, we begin to dig deeper in our thoughts and wonder what it would be like to be with that person or to do that thing, whatever it may be. And so it goes just from looking or seeing visually to now it's, it's in our hearts. We're visualizing in our minds. We're thinking hard on it. We're imagining it. And 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. So, of course, here we, we're focusing on the lust of the eyes. This, of course, what was going on with King David at this time and what's been going on with some of us. And in verse 3 it says, So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And so David now is asking about the woman he saw. He, he wants to know more about her. He wants to know more about this beautiful woman he, he saw taking a bath. He wants more information. He, he wants to make his lust, his thoughts now a reality and so the next step is taken on David's end to act on his thoughts, to act on his sinful desire, his lust, uh, his desire for, for that which he shouldn't touch, for that which is forbidden. That's lust. 
You desire what is forbidden, what you shouldn't have, what God said no to. But here we see this third step here of falling into temptation or falling into sin. He's digging now for more information. And I would just say this, if you fall into the sin of lust, to stop right there and repent before you act on it. Just stop right there and repent. Repent for lusting in your heart. In other words, don't take it any further and, and don't research it so that you can further see how you can make your lust and your sinful thoughts a reality. See, some people begin to wonder about things. They begin to lust after things. Next thing you know, they're researching it. Oh, what's her name? Oh, she's married? Okay, I don't care. They're going to keep going for it. It can work the other way around. It could happen with both men and women. It could happen with teenagers. I've been a teenager and I know. You know, I was just talking to somebody the other day that I wish that I wished I would have watched my dad a little more when, when he was working on cars. So at one point he was a mechanic and then he became a real estate agent. And so I wish I would have hung out with him more and, and, and just observed those things that he was doing. But, but as a teenager, I was too much of a ladies' man. It derailed with a ponytail. Too much of a ladies' man. And somebody stopped me in my tracks. This young lady named Anique. She started flirting with me in high school. <laughs> After track practice, I guess she saw my muscles glistening. I don't know what she saw. <laughs> but praise God, we've been married 25 years. <laughs> I like to mess with her. But now he, he's digging now. He's digging that. He wants to make his lust, his thoughts a reality. And, and some of us do the same thing. We, we research things we shouldn't even be thinking about, shouldn't even be lusting after, things we should not be desiring. We want to research it further now. How can, we, how can we make this happen? So you see, David is doing this. And, and he even found out that Bathsheba is her name. He found out who her father is. He also found out that she has a husband, one of his warriors that was out fighting Uriah, the Hittite. But let's see if he cared about that. In verse four, it says, then David sent messengers and took her and, and she came to him and he lay with her. So that didn't matter to him for, for she was cleansed from her impurity in other words, she was, she was cleansed. She went through uh, that, that ritual of being cleansed from her monthly cycle, in other words. And that took, that, that took seven days, according to the scriptures, according to the Old Testament. They, they went through this cleansing ritual of seven days to, to cleanse themselves. You know, because during that seven-day period, you know, after their cycle or so forth, they could not be a part of Israel's social and worship community. But Bathsheba had just had her cycle. She just went through her bathing ritual, so forth. David sent and 
had her brought to him and he committed adultery with her. And then it says she returned to her house. And so now it went from lusting and in his heart and committing adultery in his heart. It went from that to now him doing that outwardly. And so what we see here is that the desire that he had in his heart had now given birth to sin. You see, when our guard is down and when we see what pleases our flesh and when we don't turn away from it, we keep staring and imagining and we start lusting and desiring that which is forbidden. Then like this, we fall into sin. We give in to temptation. And this is something even in Jesus' model prayer that he gave to, the, to his disciples or his followers. Within that model prayer, he, he, he said to lead us not into temptation when we pray to our Father who art in heaven. Lead us not into temptation. Help us, Lord, to not fall into the temptation. You see, he fell into it and This has happened to many of us as well. And in James chapter one, verses 14 and 15, it says this, it says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. You see his desire conceived. And then, of course, it gave birth to sin because he committed the actual act of adultery with this married woman. And he himself was married to multiple wives, by the way. So he gave birth to sin. But but praise God, there are some things we can do to overcome temptation. Because temptation, by the way, is inevitable. It's going to come. And, and one thing we can do, and it's going to start with knowing. It's going to start with being knowledgeable. Actually, the first two points are going to come, and it's going to deal with being knowledgeable. And so the first point is to know that temptation is common to all humans. And so we have to know that when it comes, okay, this is common to all people. I'm not the only one going through this. And so knowing can really be helpful as a tip to overcoming temptation, just knowing that truth. Oh, oh, he's going through that and she's facing this too and so forth. In fact, when Jesus was on this earth in his first coming, he faced temptation. Matthew chapter four, you can read the text, read it on your own. And so it's common to all humans. But here's another point that also deals with knowing. Another tip is to know that being tempted is not the sin. So, yes, Jesus was tempted by the enemy. Remember, he was in the wilderness 40 days, 40 nights. In fact, the Holy Spirit led him there. God knew that was going to happen. Jesus, of course, was tested. He was tempted. The enemy brought some things to him to tempt him with. See, the only thing with Jesus is that's different from us is that, yes, we, as humans, we have what we call our humanity or so forth. 
but also as humans. We also have a sin nature. But the thing with Jesus is, yes, being fully human or truly human. Yes, he had a human nature, but he did not have a sin nature. There's a difference. We have, of course, human nature and sin nature. Jesus didn't have a sin nature, still doesn't. Although he went through the full human experience and yes, he was tempted, but being tempted once again, it's not the sin and you should know that. And so that's why I said the first two points in regard to overcoming temptation have to deal with knowledge, just knowing. But, but, but another point I want to share with you is to, to keep your guard up at all times. Keep your guard up at all times. And, and in the sport of boxing, this is something that referees will remind the, the fighters of. He, they, he will remind the boxers to do that, to protect yourselves at all times because the referee can step in and say stop, but the other uh, boxer may not hear and keep punching. But if you have your guard up at all times, it won't affect you. So, of course, that's a physical analogy, but spiritually speaking, we have to keep our guard up at all times. So Pastor Durrell, this is the second, third, maybe even the fourth time you said, keep your guard up during this lesson. So how does that look? What does that look like? And I would say this in regard to keeping your guard up at all times, I'm going to say to have a strong and consistent prayer life, have a strong and consistent prayer life. This is something that Jesus touched on in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was arrested when his disciples were falling asleep. He told them to watch and praise lest you fall into temptation. And so you need to have a strong and consistent prayer life. That's one way we can keep our guard up. But also we need to saturate our mind with the word of God. Meditate upon the word of God throughout the day. Think about it. Throughout the day, chew on it. And so as you meditate upon the word of God, it's, I'm not talking about looking like those people who are a part of the Eastern religion. You have your, your legs folded and, and your fingertips touching and all this stuff. I'm not talking about that, that, that the Eastern religion type of stuff. No, when you're meditating upon the word of God, I'm, I want you to think about a cow that's chewing its cud. It chews the cud, it goes down, it comes back up, it chews on it again, it goes down, comes back up, it chews some more. So as you spend time in the word of God, chew on it throughout the day, getting all of the juices, all of the flavors, looking at it from left to right and even diagonally, Lord, what do you want me to get from this scripture? What do you want me to apply to my life? What do you want me to share with others? So saturate your mind with the word of God. That is another way we can keep our guard up at all times. But also just, just staying aware, just being aware that there is a spiritual enemy who is rooting for us to fail. Just being aware. And so if you are aware of that, if you're meditating upon the word of God, saturating your mind with the word of God and, and consistent prayer, you have a strong prayer life. Yes, you're going to keep your guard up at all times. But another tip for overcoming temptation is, of course, to use the written word of God. And, and, of course, that's where we go back to Matthew chapter 4. And speaking of Jesus' temptation, after those 40 nights and the 40 days and 40 nights of not eating or drinking and so forth, 
Because we saw that Jesus used the word of God each and every time to fight against the enemy who was trying to tempt him, who was trying to get him to fail. He used the word of God. So that means that you have to have the word of God in you. Because the Bible says that that the Holy Spirit will bring his words, Jesus' words to our remembrance. But, but what is he going to bring to our remembrance if we don't have the word of God in us? But here, here's another tip. Take the way of escape that the Lord gives to you. Take the way of escape the Lord gives you. And I get that once again from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says that no temptation has overtaken you such as is common to man. Remember what we talked about earlier, that first point? It says, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, with the temptation that he knows is going to come your way. He will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So it could be that that the Holy Spirit may say, don't go that way that you normally go because you're going to be tempted to go into that store to buy whatever that you shouldn't have. So, so drive the other way, walk the other way, ride your bike the other way. Or the way of escape could be, you know, every time that this person calls you, you end up giving in to them and end up going to this person's house doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. So, so the way of escape could be to delete that person's number. And so what is that way of escape that the Lord has given you for that temptation that is coming your way? Or maybe it's a certain scripture that he brings to mind. That's your way of escape. Or I like what one of the brothers here, wise man who loves the book of Proverbs. I, I, I like what he said, and you can't go wrong with this answer. He, he shares that the way of escape is Jesus because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I, you can't go wrong with Jesus. So that's a good way to think about it as well. And so take the way of escape the Lord gives you. Don't ignore it. And so there you see God stepping in to help us, but you also have to use your free will. Even as a Holy Spirit indwelt believer, you can still use your free will to reject that way of escape that the Lord is showing you or to follow that way of escape. But it says in verse five that the woman conceived, she got pregnant and she sinned and she told David and she said, I am with child, I'm pregnant. And of course, this comes as a result of David's sin of adultery with her. But but you see here what happens when we fall into temptation. You see what happens when we fall into sin. There, there will be an after effect and, and some results or the after effect of sin won't be evident right away. Just like hers wasn't, I'm sure, evident right away. Until maybe she, she missed a month or maybe start showing a little bit. Then she knew she was, she was pregnant. And so it's true with, with our sin that we fall into, there will be an after effect. 
even though it may not be evident right away. And in verse 6, it says, Then David said to Joab, his commander, he said, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Send me her husband. Send him to me off the battlefield. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah in verse 8, Go down to your house and wash your feet. In other words, spend time at home. Spend time with your wife and relax. So Uriah departed from the king's house and the gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and he didn't go to his house. So when they told David saying Uriah didn't go home, he didn't go to his house. David said to Uriah, didn't didn't you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, the ark Speaking of the Ark of the Covenant and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. They're in temporary shelters out in the field. And and my Lord, my master, Joab and the servants or these old other soldiers of my Lord, they're they're out in the open fields and camp. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. You see. David tried to get Uriah to, quote unquote, spend time with his wife Bathsheba. But Uriah refused to do that. Because his fellow countrymen, his his, his soldiers that, that he was on a battlefield with, they were at war. And they weren't able to go home. They were stuck in the fields. They they were fighting for their lives and for the life of Israel. They weren't able to spend time with their families. And so, you know what? They can't do it. I'm not going to do that. This is Uriah saying this. And so he seemed to be an honorable man who wanted to be there for his people. And at this point, more honorable than King David at this point. But, But think about that example that Uriah is saying or is setting. How are we doing with that? Are are we going about life in a bubble? Just having a blast and we don't have any concern for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling, who are suffering. It's okay to enjoy the blessings of God, but are we living life not concerned about other believers in Christ? Those who are also members of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. See, Uriah was concerned about his fellow countrymen. And I would just submit to all of us that we too As we live life and enjoy the blessings of God, our relationship with God, as we enjoy our families and new houses and cars and all these things, blessed with jobs and things that we should not forget about other believers. Some of them live in foreign lands who are going through more severe persecution than we are. Not even able to meet freely in a building such as this. Don't forget about those saints. Verse 12, it says, then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now, when David called him, he ate and drank before him and he made him drunk. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants or the palace guard of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. And in the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. That's pretty cold. He sent them with a letter with instructions to have him killed. And Uriah didn't even know it. 
that he had his death sentence right in his hand. And, and he wrote in the letter, this is David who wrote in the letter. He says, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Verse 16, so it was while Joab besieged the city, while he attacked the city, he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. And so now Joab, his commander, is sharing in David's sin. You know, David, of course, was the king, but, but Joab being a subordinate, he did not have to obey him in this situation. Yes, the scriptures teach us to uh, obey those who have rule over us, be respectful and so forth. But, but when those rulers are, are encouraging us to sin, they're, they're calling things that God calls sin, they're calling it righteous. When, when that's the case, then we always go with God. We always side with God. Therefore, once again, you need to know the word of God so, so that you will know if a politician, a church leader, or anyone in authority is telling you to do something that's sin. Or if they're saying it's okay to sin. I, I know the Bible said that, but, but it was written or completed 2,000 years ago. So, so now the culture has changed, and so you can do it now. It's all okay now. I don't care who that information comes from. If God says no, then agree with that no. If he says that it's sin, agree that it's sin. And so Joab did not have to obey King David in this instant, but he did. But for those of us under the sound of my voice, I would say obey God instead of man. And then Joab in verse 18, he sent and he told David all the things concerning the war. And he charged a messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king wraths rise, if you see King David becoming upset and super angry, and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? And if David says, who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth, was it not a woman who cast a piece of a millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is dead also. And so Joab, the commander, is anticipating what David may say to this messenger. And so Joab and in this hypothetical situation that David might bring up. Because David may say, why did you go so close? All these men died? Why, why did you allow them to go so close to, to this wall? They, he, he's anticipating that David may bring up something that's in Judges chapter 9. Because in Judges 9, it, it talks about the story of, Abim, of Abimelech, who was the son of Gideon. How he got too close to a wall and the woman dropped a, a millstone on his head. And of course, he was, he was ashamed to be killed by a woman. So he asked somebody else to, to finish him off. And so you can find that in Judges 9. And so Joab, again, anticipating what King David might say if he got angry that all these men died. He brought up this story because David might bring it up. You know, David was a great tactician in battle. And so he's thinking David was probably 
bring up this story just to point out the silliness of them going too close to the wall and having all these men killed. You know, but, but Joab told the messenger to say, say this, that if David gets upset and he brings all this stuff up and he starts questioning our strategy, he said, tell King David this, your servant Uriah, the Hittite is dead also. And so, yeah, we, you know, some other men got killed, but, but, but tell the king that the person he wanted dead is, is dead. He'll be all right. In verse 22, so the messenger went and, and he came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. And the messenger said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the city gate and the archers shot from the wall at your servants. And some of the king's servants are dead and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So now the messenger that Joab sent is telling this to David. And so when David, of course, heard that part. That Uriah the Hittite is dead. Bathsheba's husband, remember, is dead now. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Don't let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as the other. These things happen in battle. These things happen in war. People get killed all the time in war. So tell that to Joab and strengthen your attack against the city, Rabbah, and overthrow it. And he says, so encourage him. So this, of course, was a false encouragement. It's all set up by David because he wanted one man killed, one man out the way. But when the wife of Uriah in verse 26, when she heard that Uriah, her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. Bathsheba wept for her husband. And when the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. The Lord was not happy with this. So David may have gotten what he wanted. But the Lord was not pleased. He he got the husband Uriah. He got the husband of Bathsheba away out the picture. And Bathsheba is now his wife. But the Lord was not pleased. You know, this is something that we need to consider you know, is, is the Lord pleased with what I have attained? Is he pleased with what you have attained? Stuff that, that pleases your flesh that you always wanted and, and you finally got it? Or is sinful? Something you shouldn't be touching or messing with, but you got it now. Oh, I'm happy. I get to do what I want to do now. I have the freedom to do what I want to do now. I'm, I'm so happy. But the question we should ask is, is the Lord pleased with that? Oh, it was clear in the scriptures. It is clear in the scriptures that the Lord was not pleased with what David had done. See, David went to, he he went to great lengths to cover his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He tried to cover it in different ways. He, he was deceitful. He, he tried to get Uriah to go home and sleep with Bathsheba, his wife, so that it would seem like the baby is really Uriah's and not his. That, that was his deceitful way of trying to cover up his sin. 
And when that didn't work, he, he used a negative influence to get him to go home to be with his wife. The scriptures say that he got him drunk. Okay, this man won't go home, so let me get him drunk. And then he'll go home to his wife, be with her, and, and then it'll look like it's his baby. But, of course, that didn't work. So finally, to cover up this sin, to cover up this adultery, David, King David had Uriah murdered. This man after God's own heart, he had Bathsheba's husband murdered to cover his sin. And so in this lesson, one thing we learn is to to not cover sin with sin. But, But unfortunately, that's what some of us do. We try to cover sin with sin. We, we, we do something and, and it has these negative effects. And before anybody finds out, we, we start scheming. In David's case, he murdered. And even some people today still murder to cover up sin. Oh, they lie about it. And once they start lying, they have to keep the lie going. And they can't even remember what they said because they lied so much. In fact, they may lie so much they start thinking that it's the truth. All to cover sin. So don't cover sin with sin. And unfortunately, this is, this is what I share with some of the high schoolers here when I had the opportunity, believe it, with the school that meets here on campus. I was asked to, to share and share with some of the high schoolers. And, and one of them brought up the question about abortion and well, what if the person was raped or, or this and that and that? And, and this is still my answer to that. You, you, you don't address sin with sin. Yes, what, what's happened to you may or what's happened to another person may have been sinful. Or, or even if somebody just fornicated, it wasn't rape, it wasn't incest or anything like that. But it was just flat out, you're just trying to have pleasure and have sex with somebody. That's not even your, your marriage partner, not even somebody that you're married to your spouse. You just want to have fun. You just want to please your flesh. And so you sin. And so some people, just so they can continue to live their lives and not have this baby get in the way, they want to cover the sin with sin. And so that this is a principle that I use with even something like abortion. You, you don't cover sin with sin. You don't address sin with sin. You, you don't cover adultery with sin. Whatever sin it may be, you can fill in the blank. You don't cover sin with sin. And we, we learn this lesson here. In this study in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But, but there is something that, that, that we can cover our sin with. And it is totally biblical. It is totally God approved. You see, what we need to cover our sin with is mercy. Our sin needs to be covered with the mercy of God. And, and mercy is not getting what we really deserve. And the reason that mercy is available to all mankind is because Jesus faced the justice that we were supposed to have received. You see, justice is when we get what we do deserve. You see, sin was punished. Sin, Jesus took our punishment on the cross for our sin. The wrath of God the Father was poured upon him on the cross. He took that punishment for us. In other words, he faced the justice of God the Father, even though Jesus was totally and is still totally innocent. 
In fact, even the politicians and the folks that he stood before in his trials would say, I find no fault in this man. Speaking of Jesus, but he still faced the justice of God, the father. So that what? So that we would have the opportunity to experience the mercy of God and have our sin covered by the mercy of God. However, this mercy is applied when we confess and repent of our sin. Repent means that we have a change of mind. We, we go the opposite way of that sin we used to do or we used to approve of. And when you confess, that just means you say the same thing as God. You agree with God. If God says it's sin, you agree with God. You confess it. Yes, God, I acknowledge that it's sin. I am a sinner and I repent of that. And so when that happens, the mercy covers us, our sin personally. It's applied to us personally. You see, that what, that's what happens when we receive forgiveness. And forgiveness, by the way, is an extension of mercy. So you've been forgiven. You experience God's forgiveness. Then you have God's mercy. You know, I spoke of Proverbs earlier. I spoke of a brother in the church who just loves Proverbs. He, he sends us texts every morning with a proverb in it. God bless this brother. And so we're going to read a proverb here. Proverb 28, 13, it says, he who covers sin, his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. That's biblical. Don't cover sin with sin. No, cover it with mercy. God's mercy by confessing and repenting as the worship team takes the stage. But, but if we don't confess and repent of our sin, there are major consequences. See, repentance and faith in Christ are necessary for salvation. And if a person continues to think that they're not a sinner, then guess what? They're not going to see their need for Jesus and what he has to offer. And they're never going to receive Jesus that way, that's why, yes, we do talk about sin. We do talk about hell because Jesus talked about it. That's why he came to be savior because there is a sin problem. There's a death problem. There's a hell problem. And Jesus came to address those issues and he addressed it and he did a great job of addressing it. But have you received the cure? Capital C cure being Jesus Christ. Have you received them by faith? Repentance and faith in Christ are necessary for salvation. So that's what I mean by if we don't confess and repent, there are major consequences. There is hell. There, hell, of course, is a place of torment. But it's also a place of eternal separation from God. That's the worst part about hell. Oh, yes, it's hot. Yes, it's outer darkness. Yes, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes, there'll be some memories there. The scriptures show. But the worst part about hell is that God will not be there in a relational way. But then, of course, as believers, without confessing or repenting of our sin, our fellowship with him will be hindered. Salvation won't be lost. If you're a true born again believer, salvation won't be lost, but your fellowship will be hindered. You won't be on the same page with God. You're going to have a hard time worshiping. 
You won't even want to go to church. You won't, you won't even want to be around other believers. You're going to have a hard time cracking open your Bible. Because you refuse to confess and repent of your sin. And I'll say this for the believer and unbeliever. That, that there's no way possible that anybody can become all that he wants us to be on this side of heaven if you do not have fellowship with God through Christ or if that fellowship is broken or you're not on the same page with God. That's why confession and repentance of our sin, that's why they're so important. People always say, I want to reach my full potential in Christ. I want to be all that God wants me to be. I want everything God wants me to have. But, but where's the fellowship? Where's the relationship with God? That's not possible. If you refuse to confess and repent of your sin and you want to cover sin with sin, we need God every step of the way in the spiritual growth process. If you agree with that, say amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for allowing us to be here. Thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that, that you help us to stop being stubborn, yeah. stop being proud, and to admit that, Lord, if we're in sin, to confess it to you, repent of it. And, Lord, you, you're so gracious that you forgive us right away. And the fellowship will be restored right away. And if there's somebody who does not have a personal relationship with you, I pray that you draw them to you right now, Lord. Remove those spiritual blinders. And I also pray for the rest of my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you bless them, Lord, on their way home. Keep them safe. Use them in a mighty way this week. Give them victory after victory over their flesh, over the world, over the enemy, Lord. Victory that we already have positionally in Christ. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Let us all say amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.